coast to coast, border to border, and around the world, it's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with yours truly, William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill. I'm so glad to have you today. Um, first interview of 2023. I've been doing this so long, I don't think I ever thought I'd see 2023. But anyhow, um, this is a very interesting one today. And I really don't know if I can explain it fully. So I'm going to let the author do that, who I'm talking to right now, is uh, Siana Zalazo. And she has written a book, The Way of Inanna. Shana, how are you doing today? I am so well. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be your first your first interview of 2023. <laughs> I am so glad. Now, to let everybody know, this was supposed to be a Zoom interview, but she had some difficulties on her end, and she's telling me it's because Mercury is in retrograde, which, as I told Absolutely. her, I have no idea what that means, <laughs> but it sounds really good. <laughs> It means it's not our fault. <laughs> yes. If I can throw if I can blame it on someone else I will or something else I will. There you go. <laughs> so explain to me first off why you wrote the book. Yeah. Thank you so much. I wrote the book because well, first I would say the goddess Inanna is a, is the Sumerian goddess of love and war. And in my own exploration of the divine feminine, I felt an instant and very strong remembering of Inanna that it felt as though she was literally tapping me on the shoulder and wanting to be brought back into the now. Um, and I do feel like her energy is coming back collectively. And it's in part because the archetype of the goddess that she represents is one that is extraordinarily valuable right now and that is this love warrior this individual who is using her power to slay separation consciousness um, and that's really how i conceptualize her her uh, expression as as a goddess of war so this sort of paradoxical energy is very relatable right in the sense that we are we can ourselves be fiercely loving and she she is her energy is really really um very valuable for bringing about a new way of relating to ourselves and to the whole and so it really felt like the in part the reason i wanted to write this book was because her, she wanted to be sort of remembered and so that was really at the at the basis of my intention <laughs> now when reading this book i usually skip over the uh, preface because I usually don't think it has a lot of information in it. But honestly, I read the preface, and that could be a book on its own. Because of the situations you. you dealt with, the passing of your mother, and dealing with that and everything, and then how it brought you to the goddess Inanna is very, very moving is I guess the best way to put Thank it you. and how you dealt with it because my audience should know that you are a do we want to call you a professional runner uh, you were qualifying oh. <laughs> for the Olympics or tried to multiple times um, so you have that was in the way you said it was you were running away from yourself and running away from your problem until you ran literally into Inanna and you started mm -hmm. writing this book Absolutely. And yes, I, I competed. I, my training as a runner got me to the Olympic trials, never close to okay. actually making the Olympic team, but I'll take that. And, <laughs> um, and absolutely, it was a process. And I feel like that, you know, I, even that aspect of um, Inanna as a warrior is very much a way in which I relate to her as an athlete, because she's a very embodied um, goddess in that she v insists on being she insists on her physicality. And so even as an athlete, I found a, a, a connection with her. Um, and so I was able to sort of use the mythology to help me reframe my, my experience into one of empowerment. And that is really what I was hoping to, to do through sort of weaving 
her stories together in the way that I did in the book. So you are also, you're a licensed social worker, correct? Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, with writing this book, were you able to relate it to what you do for a living? Um, because Absolutely. I know social workers that some of the stuff they deal with is very difficult, but it sounds to me that with writing it and researching it, that this, this goddess, Nana, has actually empowered you to move forward. Most, most definitely. And indeed, the book is structured to um, include her myths alongside analogous contemporary challenges that we face that I see in the work I do. Um, for example, one of the chapters is, is related to addiction and, and overcoming addiction. Um, what, what shows up in the psychotherapy office or in even the coaching office is really what people come in when they're in transition. So transition out of addiction, transition in all the different ways. And so certainly the mythology offers, to your point, an empowered perspective of how to negotiate what's showing up in the now. And it's really similar, even though the mythology was written, you know, almost, you know, around 4,000 years ago on, you know, in cuneiform on clay tablets. And the work was not re- rewritten. It was simply, it was simply translated as it was initially written down. And that's significant because that's quite different than some of the other myths that we come up, up or that we experience in, in our in our history, you know, this is straight up the way it was intended to be delivered, which is really powerful because it positions a feminine figure as the heroine and a powerhouse. <laughs> she is a powerhouse. So absolutely, I definitely see a correlation between her, her stories and the current day situations that we might face. Absolutely. Now, I don't want to sound like someone that's, that's, I don't know how to put it, but how does something like this empower you? Because I, I've interviewed a lot of people over the last few years that have written books, not about her, but yeah. similar to this. And I get, I've never been able to get a straight answer on why do you think this empowers you? Why does this give you the the permission to do that? And why aren't you able just to do it yourself? What a beautiful question. Thank you. <laughs> I love that question so much because ultimately the working with goddess energy and, and, her, and her energy in particular is an energy of, the, of an archetype of the feminine that was not perpetuated, right? This idea of um, the, this sort of very badass, strong, powerful woman who, can, who is unapologetically who she is and she loves herself. One of the prominent aspects of her mythology is her focus on her celebration of her literally spoken in this way of her holy vulva and that's not just being you know rude or or graphic or whatever she is highlighting the power of the of sacred feminine power which resides in the second chakra the creative generative energy that is you know, associated, of course, with the mother energy, but Inanna's not known. She, she is a mother. There's, she, you know, in her mythology, we see two, two of her sons, but that's not the focus. Her focus isn't on the mother archetype, but on the, the, I love myself, and as I love myself, I prioritize uh, focusing on what is literally love. So through loving self, I then can express love in the external reality, so I can shift within to shift the without. And right now, that is one of the most important things we can do when we look around at everything that is changing. This this dramatic shift in the world um, really is an invitation for us to begin to lead with love. And the best way to do that, really, in my opinion, <laughs> even in the work I do, is is through beginning within and transforming our relationship with ourselves. And Inanna comes in and she's she's inviting us to be unapologetically in love with ourselves and to celebrate our sexuality as women, as all, all people. What's beautiful about Inanna is that many scholars um, interpret her as being androgynous, which is another reason why I love her so much, right? Because she she kind of invites this spacious liminality where she pushes up against any anything that's confining. And she says, no, 
Do not label me. Don't define me in, in a, one category or another. I am all that I am. I consistently evolve. I shift. I change. And I give myself permission to evolve. And that's what we need right now. So it's empowering in many different ways, but it's this reclamation of that archetype of the goddess that we haven't fully seen come back, you know. And Inanna's ready. She's She is... I, I see a lot of her beautiful energy in what's happening in Iran right now, um, where women are reclaiming. I mean, there is such courage and bravery in these women. And I see that as very aligned with this energy we're talking about, this war- love warrior energy, right? So where so the energy you're talking about is coming from within, correct? Yes. Well, our connection with the goddess in general is... You know, we can conceptualize it as a force, <laughs> connecting with our a, a, a force. But yes, it is internalized, and it's it. What it does when my experience with it is that when we connect with that energy, it in essence dissolves the internalized oppressive energy that we may have um, developed over many lifetimes, in given the experiences we've had in the, you know, at least over the last 3,000 years regarding the way the patriarchy um, suppressed the feminine energy. So this is an invitation to reclaim that. And, and she is leading the charge, you know, she is like, let's do this. And she's doing it fully in her body, which is another reason why I love this. Her, her mythology really emphasizes her celebration of self, of her physiology, of her pleasure. And what that does for us in human form is it says, look, you can access your divinity even while being human. And that's an important message because it's not, it's, she's bringing us into our divinity or bringing spirit into matter. And that's something that I really wasn't able to see as much in other goddesses. I mean, I didn't see this emphasis on her own pleasure um, in other stories. So oh, yeah. prior prior to writing this and and prior to finding out who Anana was, were you yeah. interested in mythology beforehand, or was for some reason you were just led to it? I have always been in connection with the divine feminine, and um, my I, I definitely so I'm also an intuitive, and um, the the. This feels like a memory. This feels like a connection that has endured over many lifetimes and that this is not my first, it feels like this is not my first go around as, as a um, sort of devote, devoted, um, uh, you know, sort of in, being in devotion to Inanna. So it, the Divine Feminine, my interest in the Divine Feminine started when I was very young um, and explored various, not only mythology, but various expressions of the divine feminine the first um, energy that i connected with was green tara and i worked with that energy in a meditative process very consciously for many years and then inanna came in it was almost like it the energy of green tara is very gentle and it inanna's is different it's very strong and it's not that green tara's is not strong but it's a different energy so I have been, a, say, a student of goddess energy and the goddess in general for a long time. <laughs> yes. So mm-hmm. you said you were an intuitive? Or yes. What, mm-hmm. what does that mean? So in addition to my training as a psychotherapist, um, well, before I went into private practice as a psychotherapist, I was a hospice social worker, so I worked in end-of-life, um, and then transitioned into private practice, and then transitioned into doing intuitive work, wherein I support, I, I do help others develop their own intuition and work one-on-one in that way, and in workshops and such, but I also do readings, and wherein I connect with the person's Akashic Records and their guides and their higher self which is, that's separate from psychotherapy. It's totally different. Um, and that work is really um, a sort of, in my opinion, it's very direct and very specific. <laughs> it's, we're holding a mirror, in essence, to the individual to see what their own truth is and their own inner guidance. So, yes, I work, I work in that way as well. Mm-hmm. How do you teach someone to do that? So in, that's a beautiful question, and I really fundamentally believe we all have intuitive gifts. And so it's very much like being an athlete. 
we have an opportunity to develop our intuition when we align our intention and our attention and we devote and create space to the, the development of it. Um, and in other words, like if we're training to run a 5K, we got to put in the miles, you know. And this is also true with the intuition. The, the more that we engage it, the stronger that it gets. And also the more that we engage it, the more faith we have in it. And faith ultimately feels like the, the bridge to it. It, we often feel like a lot of folks will come in and say, look, if I, if I had the evidence, you know, if I was working with my guides and I heard them loud and clear and it was, you know, just completely obvious, then I'd have faith in it. <laughs> but that's not how it works. It really works with us, us putting in that energy and that devotion and that time and, and having the faith that it will, it will come through clearly and then it does. So, Mm-hmm. <laughs> when, when, I have so many questions. When you're t- training someone to do this, yeah, how how I mean, they have to come in wanting to do it. Okay? Absolutely, they have That's to. Right. But That's how right. do they develop the faith, or how do you develop the faith for them that they know this <laughs> is going to work? It's very much like working with. I, I really love the analogy of working with an athlete because that athlete knows they have that that orientation, right? They wouldn't show up in a particular sport that they didn't feel necessarily like they wanted to invest time in, they didn't feel really aligned with. So it's really in facilitating, uh, consistently bringing some, someone into a, like a wider perspective, a, like a, I think of it as a zoom out lens, consistently helping the individual to look at what's showing up in their life from a zoom out lens so they can see how it's all connected. And when they see how it's all connected, they start to open to the science the universe is bringing to them and the ways in which their higher self is directing them. So the way that I, it, I mean, it's very individual for everyone, but I would say if I had to, to boil it down to the simplest way is working very much with our intention and our attention and creating a practice, a devotional practice wherein we are spending time engaging with our intuition in various ways and it becomes stronger and stronger and um ultimately to your point the 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 interest has to be there in the same way that that athlete who maybe has a goal to run a 5k in a certain time they have to have their own inner motivation to stick with it right and i really feel it's super important to engage with our intuition in a way that feels fun and joyful and so the book merges um spirituality and psychology and in using my intuitive ability to bring in ritual. So the end of each chapter has a, um, a ritual or a meditation that's offered. And ritual is super fun as a, as a healing modality because it's artistic and it's, it's really joyful when you get into it and it can be done with others, but it puts the healing in your own hands. And that's what I try to bring in in the, in the training I do with folks around intuitive development is to bring it into a place that feels joyful and fun. So that's a priority. <laughs> so, and, and I've asked this question before, and I've never got a, a solid answer on it, sure. um, is actually how to meditate. And when mm-hmm. you meditate, is that when you're connecting with Inanna and other goddesses? Yes. <laughs> um, and, the you know, I am a big believer that the meditation has to work for you. And for some people, meditation is active, right? Like it's a walking meditation or it's a yoga practice or it's dance or it's um, being in the woods. Um, You know, I'm a surfer and like that's a very meditative process to be, you know, in the sort of pre-dawn time where you're on the ocean and it's, it's, you're in a rhythm and it's extremely meditative, but you're not sitting with your eyes closed in lotus position, right? Before your altar. I do work with an altar myself, um, wherein I do meditate in, in front of my, my altar, but that's just like an orienting principle that I find useful because it, it is a space where I, in, I experience it as a portal. So I can go in and I can align with my own guides and connect with the energies that I am wanting to connect with. In, in writing this book, I certainly 
brought in the energy of Inanna when I was working, when I was writing, you know. And, and most, I think most writers and most artists do that. They bring in the creative energy in whatever way. I just so happen to invite in a very specific energy. But I think that many artists do this. They open themselves to the muse or the creative process that wants to come through. So in, in terms of wanting to help give you a straight answer about meditation, I feel like it's very individual. And for some people, their meditation is very useful if it's like a mindfulness practice where they're staying with the breath. And for other people, it's about opening up to questions and saying, hey, team, what have you got for me, okay. <laughs> my spiritual team? So it's different. Because I've, I've done the, the, the meditation, not in lotus position because I can't get into yes. it. But... <laughs> I, get, I, I don't, I don't, everybody said, let everything go. And I can't, I think about what happened right. during the day and I can't yes. escape that. And it's like, wait a minute, why am I doing this wrong and how do I do it right? But what you tell me, there's so many different types of meditation yes. that not medit. there's right. not just one meditation for everyone. And that makes a lot of sense. Right. And, and I think it's very common. I see a very, I see a correlation between folks that are very in their body and movement. You know, that makes sense, right? Like when those that I know that are very in their body, in their world, like whether they're maybe they're performance artists or they're, um, you know, yoga practitioners or whatever, they may not, or athletes or whatever, they may not feel super resonant with that particular, you know, like mindfulness practice, for example. But they may do mindfulness in another way, which is, like cognitive behavioral therapy, which is kind of the go-to treatment modality in psychotherapy, is mindfulness meditation. And many folks consider Buddha as the first cognitive behavioral therapist because it really, it's the same concept. So we can almost like apply it in different situations. So for example, if we're working on not getting, I don't know, maybe in, if we're working on our patients, you know, and not being impatient, we we can bring that in and that be, can become a practice or a meditative practice in our day. So if we're held up in line by somebody that's ahead of us at the checkout line, we can now use that in the moment as a meditative practice, but we're not closing our eyes sitting in lotus position. So we can just sit with the feeling that goes, oh my God, I am going to be late. <laughs> I'm really annoyed to, okay, this is happening for a reason. It's an invitation for me to develop my practice. And it might be just five minutes, but it might be two seconds. And either way, I'm doing a meditative practice. So anytime we bring, it's always about intention. You See, know, bring your intention. That mm-hmm. makes all the sense in the world to me because, like I said, I, I've always heard meditating, lotus position, all that. And now I understand what you're saying, the mindfulness, because when I walk on the beach, I forget of the surroundings around me. And that's when I get into, that's when I start having mindful, I don't want to say conversations, but that's when I have mindful thoughts. I've also done that while driving that when I snap out of it, I don't know how I got to where I got because <laughs> I'm in that deep thought. So that yeah. makes sense that if I can, I can do that, but I don't have to do it in the way society thinks it needs to be done. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, and, and that makes the, a lot of sense. Oh, I'm so glad. And that's definitely also the way we can conceptualize connecting with our own intuition. It doesn't have to be the it's very individual. Sometimes it's super subtle and sometimes it's extremely pronounced. And oftentimes in the beginning of our intuitive development, we might think that it has to be super loud, but that's not really how spirit works. It, it's often really subtle. Like imagine, I don't know, um, but the difference is, is that we see it. And when we see it, it starts to get louder. So if we say, if we have come, if we confirm for ourselves and we have faith, for example, Imagine we're seeing something like, uh, I don't know, a song comes on the radio mm-hmm. as soon as we sit in the car, and we're like, that song is speaking directly to me. When we say, yeah, it is, <laughs> then what happens is it's we develop more faith in it, and it starts to happen more frequently, and then we start to it starts to come in more pronounced. And in the beginning, we might say that was just a coincidence, we're making it up, but the more that we engage in consciously with what's showing up in our reality and looking for what it's offering us, which is also in essence a mindful practice, then we get the messages. They come to us and we can inter- we can receive the gift that's showing up for us. And then it gets stronger. <laughs> okay. So when, cause then, then I have the question meditating, then mm-hmm. when you're, when you're, when you are, 
prior to the book and and on and everything else, did you have to research her or did it oh, yeah. something just happen that clicked and going, okay, I, I've heard this name, I can relate to it, now i got to find out who it is? Oh, wonderful question. Thank you. Yes, I literally came on, I was, as I am, like I said, I've always been interested in the divine feminine, so it's sort of my topic of, you know, if, I can, if I'm looking for something to read. <laughs> and so I came upon her most well-known myth, which is called The Descent of Inanna. And the others are lesser known, but extremely beautiful and powerful. But The Descent of Inanna, um, it was a story wherein she is called to, she's, she is the queen of, she has many epitaphs, so not only goddess of love and war, but she's also um, the, the evening and the morning star. She's the queen of heaven and earth. So she's up on the sort of upper world, like she's, she's, loving her life as queen and something calls her to the great below where she goes through this beautiful and powerful initiatory experience where she dies and is reborn and what struck me in this story is that this story preceded the story of christ and a lot of the same um aspects were brought into christ's story so she's she dies she's she's put to death for three days and three nights which we see she's hung yeah, she's hung as a corpse on the wall, on a nail okay. on the wall for three days, which is very similar. And it, and she then resurrects. She comes up and, and is restored to life. And then she brings this, this information to her people, and she brings about, you know, a sort of a, a practical way in which to work towards um, making known the unknown, transcending fear, reclaiming our shadow aspects. And as I read this story, I saw so such a beautiful way to reconceptualize my own experience. And what you were referencing in the preface was the, the story that I shared about my own mother's passing yes. and also um, sexual assault. And the way that I was able to move through it and see it as sort of like a, a death and rebirth was through her story. Yeah. And then I was hooked. <laughs> well, what's really interesting is that I had, whenever you're saying that, I was thinking about your mother's death, the yeah. assault and everything else. And I'm going, yeah. she, re, she, she, you rebirthed yourself and a oh, light bulb went off my head and I'm going, okay, now this makes sense. Now I know why mm-hmm. that you did that. And again, mm-hmm. and how you, how you basically, pushed yourself into running because you were running away from the situation that you didn't want to deal with. So that, that you, you just gave me an epiphany. That was wonderful because (laughs) I see that. Thank you. Now, the other thing I have, I question, and I didn't think of this before because when you related it to Christ, do you Mm -hmm. think that the story of Inanna did not take over like the story of Christ did because she was a woman? Absolutely. Okay. There was a great intention to sort of bury alive goddess consciousness and, and conscript uh, all her her symbols into, um, you know, the the church did that. The church took over her, literally her temples and built their own um, upon it. And so, yes, absolutely. I think that, and that's one of the reasons why I think she's re-emerging, you know, I, I mean, she is coming back into the collective consciousness and that I think part of that is is the ways in which she reclaims. She's saying, "Look, she's she's what I call a a a teacher of the death mysteries." And to me, death and my own work in end of life work is is it's connected to rebirth. And right now on the planet, we are positioned to shift away from an old paradigm and and move into a paradigm, a new paradigm of love. And she's saying, as goddess of love, she's saying, "Come on, let me show you how to do it." <laughs> It all starts with you. It starts within. So, so other than you writing your book, has uh, yeah. have other people done the same thing and interpreted her readings the same way you have, and related them to today's society? I have not seen that, but you know how creativity is, right? Like right. It's, <laughs> it's in the ethos; it sparks people everywhere. I haven't seen it related to, in the way that I've done it. The way that I did it was I created so in the underworld in her story of the descent she comes to the seven gates of the underworld and at each gate 
she has to remove one of her royal attributes. Remember, she's the queen of, of heaven and earth. So she's decked out when she comes into the underworld, and she has to go through each gate and remove, literally strip one of the items off so that she enters the underworld bowed low and naked. So in humility and completely stripped, totally vulnerable, she surrenders. And there's a deep message in that. Um, so many people have interpreted that particular myth, but the other myth, you know, and how that relates to, in essence, what we could conceptualize as, um, you know, like what I see as, as a therapist as narrative therapy. We have a chance to rewrite our own story from a place of empowerment. If we look at it through the lens of, of a heroine's journey and from her process, um, but the the way of, of aligning each each chapter I call a gate, and each one I take a myth or a hymn of hers, I relay the myth, and then put it alongside, like was using the example of addiction, I use one of her stories called the Hulupu tree and put it alongside addiction and explain how they're correlated and how her story is giving us insight into how to work with addiction and let it go and move beyond it. So I haven't seen that, but I have seen definitely a, a, re, a restored interest in her, and many scholars have written about about her. And um, you know, she's she's like I said, she's definitely coming back into the collective consciousness, which is beautiful. <laughs> now, another question I have, which is from the preface, that I read it multiple times because you said you were dealing with people um, in hospices that were dying. Yeah. And dealing, were you, were you actually dealing with them Mm -hmm. transitioning or were you dealing with the family? Both. So in hospice, yeah, you first are working specifically with the patient and certainly you can also as a social worker work with the family, but then there's a year up to a year bereavement um, service service that's offered after the person transitions that you offer to the family. So it's both. But um, yes, it was an incredibly powerful training in uh, an extraordinary, you know, in the rite of passage of death to be able to work in hospice. I love hospice. I love what it does um, and how it is so beautifully supportive in every way. I'm, a, I'm really grateful for that opportunity. The other thing is that you use the word transition from yeah. life to death. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't hear that very often, but the way you say it, it sounds much more pleasing much more natural not just like Mm -hmm. using the word dead which it's everything just stops so there is with your doing you there is a belief that the the individual is going from a mortal life to a spiritual life yes okay and that it's just like you know i I don't go back to something my mom taught me when i was just a little girl because i I have been really, I mean, intuitive my whole life, and my mom was very, very intuitive herself and sort of fostered my, my orientation. So I remember as a young, young girl, her explaining death to me, and she said, oh, very nonchalantly, oh, it's just like we're changing clothes. <laughs> um, and I really, I, that my, she told me this, I remember I was six, and I remember really understanding it, and I still feel this way. I just have a sense of, you know, and in the intuitive work that I do, it feels very much like that. It's just, it's like move, like moving from one room of the house to another. And, you know, we're still in connection. We're still all in the same house, you know, but, you know, <laughs> your loved one might be in the, you know, the attic or whatever. And, and you can still be in connection. It's just in a different way. You're not speaking to them in the physical, but they're in a new iteration of their, or not new, they're, they're in their spiritual expression. Yeah. And I don't feel the connection ends. <laughs> okay. Some of the most, yeah, some of the most, I love mediumship for so many reasons. Mediumship as, as um, you know, individuals that connect with those who've transitioned and bring forth that energy as a counseling modality. Because in my work, in traditional, you know, when I was doing traditional psychotherapy as a grief counselor, my, some of my clients would go and have a mediumship reading with somebody and they would come in and they'd be like, I'm all set. I'm good. <laughs> you yeah. can, we're good because it was so fast and so effective to have that one mediumship experience. And it was like, it took care of what I'd been working on maybe for several months, you know, so in that, just one hour or something. That's very interesting to me because I've, I've talked to three, maybe four mediums on this program. 
Wonderful. Um, John Edwards being one of them. Oh, uh, he's wonderful. He, yeah. Which he blew me away. Um, right. He's amazing. Because he, I was in the middle of a conversation with him, and I was talking about him doing the reading, and all of a sudden he was reading me, and I didn't know it, which was really <laughs> interesting. Because he stopped me wow. and he said, do you recognize these names? And I'm going... Well, yeah, but I didn't think you were talking about me. <laughs> so, oh wow, but, what a gift! Yeah. But but that but that's what I'm, I'm asking. So, have when you do, are you able to turn it on or off, or is it always there? Well, I I wouldn't. I personally don't identify as a medium. Okay. Sometimes guides come. I mean, sometimes loved ones do come through in my readings. They do, okay. but I don't. I wouldn't identify that way. Um, and when they come through, yes, I can turn it on or off, and that's some of the things I teach. I don't turn it on or off. I just have my sacred boundaries up. Um, it's not off. I just allow myself to interact. Like when I was doing ho- hospice work, I would do a lot of work in nursing homes. Some of our patients would be in nursing homes. Right. And that was intense for me because I was like, whoa, there are so many people that want to come through right now. And I would just have to – I literally had to look down at my feet to get through to the patient's room because I could feel so many other souls that wanted to connect and were like, Hey, you can see me. Come on. Let me, tell, you know, right. that kind of energy. And I would have, I really like would intentionally wash all that energy away at the end of my shift in a, you know, like when I came home in a shower to clear away that energy because they were really trying to reach out and they could identify that I could hear them, you know? Um, but yes, I, and I teach, I think it's really important to teach, the sacred boundaries to protect yourself because when you're sensitive, you you can you can pick up stuff that you don't necessarily need to be carrying around, right? Like somebody else's anxiety or right, something like that. Right. And I I also the way I work, I always want to honor somebody's um, their their free will. So the way I work is I won't just read someone if unless they're saying, "Hey, I'd like a reading from you," and let's tune in. And I have a very ritualistic process with it, so. That establishes that kind of what you're talking about of turning on, turning off. It's not so much turning off. It's like dialing up or not or okay. hanging up for a second. <laughs> yeah. So have you been able to reach, I mean, I hate to say it because it sounds like a parlor trick, but have you been able to reach out to Anana? Oh, yeah, I work with, I definitely, absolutely. And I think many people do. The energy is when I tune, I, and, I, and I do it regularly. At this point, I do it daily. Um, so I think many people do do that. And again, I want to emphasize we all can. And it's the, the way that she'll come through for me is I'll pose questions. I'll say, look, I am really working. Like she was extremely helpful in working, helping me work through this sort of fear of being seen. Um, you know, sort of like, you know, when you put something like your, you know, your deepest secrets out on the, in a book, um, about your, you know, your most vulnerable stories. I, I definitely had to go gulp. Okay, here goes. Um, and I called in her energy very regularly to help dissolve some of that, uh, anxiety around it and just really could feel her using her weapons of light to clear it away. So I think that, and I think that what I want to emphasize is we all can do this. It's again, just bringing your intention and your attention to yeah. it and, and your practice, create a practice. Um, because the, the house that I'm living in, <laughs> yes. there has yeah. been, there was a family that lived here for over a hundred years before my wife and I bought the house and wow. there's been passings in the house and I still think that a few of them are here. It's not that I've communicated with them, yeah. but I can feel it in the room and I can yeah. see movement when there's nobody yeah. there. And it's like, I would really like the ability to be able to communicate in a way that would let me know why they're here and mm-hmm. what I can do or what they want me to do. And I can't figure that out. And I've been dealing with that now for almost 20 years. Wow. Amazing. And it's certainly like, uh, there's definitely, I would say that that is supporting your own intuitive development. In other words, those beautiful souls that are there are helping you trust that you are seeing, feeling, hearing, experiencing, knowing Mm -hmm. um, their presence. And that's developing your faith in yourself. You know, when you see that movement or you sense that their presence. And so it's uh, really, it's about being like creating a space and asking 
is there something you want to communicate yeah. to me? You know, like really creating a, 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 an open space where that dialogue can happen just by bringing your attention to it and, and making sure that you are aligned with their highest good, helping them see that, you know, you are here to support them in whatever way. And, you know, inviting them to, to, to convey to you what it is that they want to convey. So I would say you are extremely blessed to have that experience because it's, it's showing you how intuitive you are. Well, you know, I think my dog is more blessed than I am because <laughs> my dog will literally walk into the room that he walks in all the time and he will stop, look up and start barking. Oh, and we yes. know that he's barking <laughs> yes. at someone and yes. it's like just the way he reacts. And I'm going, so-and-so, the owner's here now, and they must want something because he's standing there barking at them. And then all of a yes. sudden he'll stop. No, right. Nothing right. else going on. He just stops. And I believe wow. that he is feeling that energy of some sort or maybe even seeing it Yeah, because absolutely. of how intent he is. And it's not a vicious barking. It's a barking to alert that someone's there. Yeah. So, again, it's really unique. And and the way you explain it makes a heck of a lot of sense. (laughs) I should have talked to you before I talked to everybody else, and then I would have understood (laughs) them. I love it. I think I think it's really I I totally agree that our animals are definitely perceptive. And they can I mean, that's also a, a gift in that you're you're seeing how the animal realm is able to perceive and, and be in connection. And, and it shows that like there isn't an end. There's this continuation and different, different, uh, there's always this sort of, you know, death is this sort of shift into another form. And we're having multiple deaths on a daily basis. Even you and I are different than even the conversation we started at the beginning. Yes. So, you know, like we, we are, when we are, one of the reasons I love Inanna is because, as I mentioned, she is a, a goddess of the death mystery. She makes known. She deliberately makes known what is unknown. And in doing so, she helps dissolve our collective fear of death. And we really are, we, in our culture, we tend to avoid it, you know, and there mm-hmm. are many beautiful other cultures that are more comfortable with it. But I think she's doing that. She's saying, look, why are you afraid to evolve? Why are you afraid to shift? Come on, let's make it known. Let's go see what wants to, let's reclaim the entirety of who we are. When she goes into the underworld, she reclaims her shadow aspect. And and that doesn't imply that that part of her is dark. I just mean that was a part she had disavowed. She hadn't connected with. And ultimately, the death process is, is truly this way to become whole. And that's what leads to the ascension. So, so with the stories that you share of Inanna, are you able yeah. to relate those to pretty, I mean, certain stories to certain th- situations? Because you mentioned yeah. with the drug, with the drug and yeah. everything. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Being able to do that. Yeah. Has it, I mean, are there, there are stories there that you can relate to anything? Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I see connection in all things. Um, so, and I think that, you know, that's one of the things that Inada represents is she is all about unity consciousness. So when you conceptualize the idea of unity, that also, not only does it mean we are all one and we're all connected, but that also implies that everything is in is a part of our of our evolution so literally so yes with her stories i can see the way i see every day in my life and in everyone's life i see those stories as very similar to our everyday life wherein whatever shows up in our reality on any day-to-day basis if we are paying attention is providing us a training in our evolution something like you know when somebody comes in and i don't know maybe they're maybe not happy with you or something and it creates a maybe a a little bit of a tug in your solar plexus where you feel not so great it would be in that kind of situation we can pause and we can say why did that happen like what is my soul working on to grow what am i balancing karmically here um and what am i working on if it shows up in my solar plexus what's going on in my solar plexus that's wanting to heal and how is this actually an invitation for me to grow but her stories do that so if you look at any of her myths each one is really a, a story about her stepping further into her power. And when we relate to our reality as a training to evolve, we become empowered. We're like, yes, this, I, am, I am more conscious now as a result of how I interfaced with my day. You know? 
So I'm going to have you diagnose the whole United States right now and ask you <laughs> why you think that so many people cannot accept things like this. Well, there's a few things going on with that. And it really is fear, I think. It comes down to fear. It comes back down to just where we are in our um, – let me think about it, how to articulate it best. Like a, a lot of times – if there's something that we're resistant to, it's because there's a wound sometimes that wants to be resolved before we have access to a different perspective. Um, and sometimes we, sometimes, it, you know, like when, when someone is maybe not in a place of acceptance, right, it creates, it creates an opportunity for somebody who is to be in further acceptance, to be in further acceptance of someone who's not accepting, <laughs> right? Like it's this invitation to, acceptance to me is the state of equanimity that we, strive for to be at complete peace with everything when we're at complete peace with everything we accept that it's all exactly as it should be and so when we even think about how there's this sort of um you know this there are many people that believe and many people that don't right like that 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 even that serves our evolution because we can go into we can hold the space for that and say well that's exactly what's supposed to be their journey their journey, it's not better or worse. I'm not more aware than they are, or they're not more aware than anyone else's. It's just exactly where we are all intended to be. We're, and our, our evolution of consciousness is, is you know, sort of like this, it's, a, it's an evolution, it's like a spectrum. And I like to think of it like this. If somebody, when somebody is in the very early stages of their schooling, like their first grade, second grade, they we cannot say that that second grader or first grader is any less intelligent than the person getting a PhD, right? right. They're just different places. And that, it, that young person might have the most brilliant way of conceptualizing reality and understanding reality. So every, really, every perspective is welcome. You know what I mean? Like, so when, when some people have resistance to I don't know, thinking about a goddess, right? Um, or working and channeling a goddess, right? Mm -hmm. Um, that that I look at that and I say that's perfect because that's 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 what is true for you, you know. And just as I'm wanting to be okay with what's true for me, I'm totally down with what's true for you, you know. Um, so in terms of and but I think that when there's you know a lot of anger about things like you know different ways of looking at things, and when there might be judgment, I see fear in that, you know. Uh, the fear of the unknown. Yeah, that's um, right. And, yeah. And, yeah. and that's that's interesting. And and when you mentioned the compared the first or second grader to the one with the PhD, it also confirms my belief that society is what gets in the middle of that child achieving everything that child can achieve. It all depends on where they're at and mm -hmm. where they were born, what part of the country, the world, whatever it was. Because mm -hmm. I think everybody has the same charts start, same chart shot shot i can say it trust me the yeah. same shot mm. shot gosh i can't speak yeah. i'm a, com a communication <laughs> grad shot there you go everybody yeah. has the same shot as everybody else it all depends on where they were placed absolutely and who, and, and, and who mother yeah. and dad were i mean it's it's a I hate to say it it's a crapshoot well and i you know i it's it's such a powerful thing to think about too because when we really are in a place of equanimity and a state of acceptance, what we're, we're, what we're really doing is we're like, you know, we, we're taking that super, super far zoom out lens where we see like sometimes when we incarnate, we incarnate very deliberately to work out something that wants to be worked out or to have a life experience that will yield our evolution as a soul. So, for example, we might do engage in something that maybe other people think is not such a great thing to do, but maybe in doing so i don't know what example would be like i don't know i'm i don't know in a good example but the idea here is is that th there is a way where each of us is on our soul journey and sometimes we have to make choices that maybe others would say hmm i might not have made that choice but then that yields the descent like inanna that gives us that brings us to our knees and allows us to then use the the purchase of the great below to rise again, to push ourselves back up, to bounce back up. So it's one of those things that we, 
you know, sort of like a parent watching their kid learn to walk or mm-hmm. something. We, we want to intervene and go like, no, 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 don't fall on your butt. But, but we also have to give them the chance to figure out how to get back up. And so, um, you know, it's just this, it's, you know, when we hold that place of deep acceptance of everybody's situation. It just changes everything. We're like, well, that's obviously what they're working on. <laughs> and it just makes it easier, you know. Again, uh, the way the way you talk, the way you explain it, makes all the sense in the world, and uh-huh. it's it's so nice to be able to hear someone that can put it in terms where we all can understand it, and oh, I can I can I can relate and I can agree and everything else. Now, as you said, we started off on one subject and we went all over the place. <laughs> can you tell my audience how to get your book? <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, just just to say that's so totally Inanna because she's so multidimensional. She has all these different aspects of herself. So right on target with Inanna. So my book, The Way of Inanna, A Heroine's Guide to Living Unapologetically, is available at booksellers worldwide. Really? Well, that's awesome. Uh, yeah, thank you. <laughs> um, that is great. Have So when was the book released? The book was released in September of this year, of 2022. Yeah. So how are the sales going on the book? Oh, it's going great. I'm so excited. Yes. <laughs> that's 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 really that's really cool. Now, okay, since you said they're available at booksellers worldwide, what yeah. section of the bookstore is it in? Oh goodness. I would say I, I believe I believe it's in the spirituality section. Um that's where I would think it would be, but it might also be in mythology. <laughs> okay, because that's the one yes. of the things I, I get whenever someone says they, they have their book and they're going yes. where it's at, and then I get a phone call going, but where would it be? <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. So. Totally. And I, I started a podcast, so I have a podcast, the Unapologetic Heroine Podcast. Oh, really? Um, yeah, which is so fun and, and new a new medium for me, and I'm really enjoying it um, and interviewing folks that are – unapologetically who they are and really representing the energy of living, living love. So I, I, that's been a very fun experience and that is available on, it's, it's, it's through the Sacred Stories, which is my publisher, um, and through Haniel Press through Sacred Stories and Sacred Stories has to, is sort of the, the holder of, of my, um, podcast. And so it's through Sacred Stories, but it's called The Unapologetic Heroine and it's on all the, all the podcast mediums. <laughs> that sounds good. Shauna, thank you very much. I really enjoyed it today. Um, it Me was so too. nice talking to you and, and being a part. I would love to have you on the show again in the future if you would be willing to come back. Oh, my gosh. I would love it. I'm so honored, and I really appreciate this opportunity. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, and you have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. A big thank you goes out to Shauna Zalazo for being a part of the program today. What a blast that was. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did, talking about her new book, The Way of Anana, A Heroine's Guide to Living Unapologetically. Yes, it's a female goddess, but even us guys can get something out of it. Because like I told her, it was a great book, and you need to pick this up and read it because I think it would open up a lot of doors for a lot of us out there. So everybody, thank you very much for joining us. We appreciate you being a part of the program and we'll talk to you next time here on the Bill Alexander show. Thank you for listening to the Bill Alexander show. The Bill Alexander show is a million dollar baby production. For more information, go to the bill